Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. Friends, today I want to do something a little bit different. Yesterday I was walking around campus here at Watermark and I just kind of got spiritually tased. So I've never been physically tased. I've never had a run-in with the law and someone had to pull that out on me, but I, I have been spiritually tased where I just feel like God was trying to get my attention. I don't know if you've had those uh, before, but I wanted to give you uh, the phrase uh, here in a second that God just kind of got me with. And it came from a talk that Timothy Atik, T.A., uh, did at our church leaders conference this year in April. And so he did a great talk on how to be the goat. What does it look like to to be great? And we'll put a link in there for the whole message if you want to hear that. But this was point two that he was talking about. And it's where the phrase comes from. And uh, it's what I was thinking about. I've been thinking about it, honestly, for a couple weeks. But really, yesterday came to a head and just I needed to snap back. And so I want to give this to you, and I'll come back here in a second with some more thoughts. But let's listen to this 10-minute clip from Timothy Atik. Number two, greatness requires clarity on who Jesus is and who he isn't. Look at verse 24 with me. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so there was this superficial belief that if you were older, you were more worthy of honor. Who came first? Jesus or John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist showed up first. And so the thought would be, if you're kind of ranking John the Baptist in Jesus, the superficial belief was that John the Baptist, because technically he's older by months, that he deserves more honor. And John the Baptist is like, yeah, that, that structure of things doesn't work in this situation because there is one who comes after me that I don't even deserve the role of a slave in his life, which is to do something that was only fitting for a slave, which was to untie a sandal strap. He's like, I... I don't even deserve to do that. See, Jesus' identity bred humility in John the Baptist. When you see Jesus for who he is, it brings even more clarity to who you are. And John the Baptist was ultimately clear on what place Jesus took, that he took first place. John the Baptist was clear on who existed for who. Colossians 1.18, Paul says, he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What does it mean to be preeminent? It means to take first place. John the Baptist is saying Jesus isn't just significant, he's preeminent. And so let me just tell you this, in our churches, Jesus must not be just significant. He must be preeminent. For Jesus to be significant but not preeminent makes your church and my church irrelevant. So just be clear on that. Jesus Christ is before all things. He takes first place. John the Baptist was clear on that. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. And so John is just reaching back into the Old Testament. We all know the story, the Passover land, the land 
without blemish that would be slaughtered and the blood of the lamb would be painted on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites so that the angel of death would pass over. And John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, behold that lamb, like he's the, the lamb without blemish who will be slaughtered. And it's his blood when painted on the doorposts of our hearts that will cause the angel of death to pass over our lives. He's clear on who Jesus was. Now watch this. Verses 31 through 34, what I want you to see is I want you to see that, that this is talking about John the Baptist truly seeing Jesus. It was seeing Jesus that fortified John the Baptist's ministry. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Watch what he says, verse 34. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist's ministry was fortified by sight. He saw Jesus for who he truly was. And so all I'm asking you right now is, is have you seen Jesus lately? Like, have you seen him clearly? There's this idea in the scriptures of, about spiritual sight. Like, I think about Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gazing of the heart that has to happen to truly see Jesus. Or I think about Mark chapter 8 where Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with the, kids of a, with the contents of a little kid's lunchbox. Tons of bread, tons of fish multiplied. And then he hops on a boat with his friends. And they start freaking out about the fact that they don't have bread. Like if there's ever a time you don't have to worry where you're going to get your gluten. It's when you're on a boat with Jesus. Because he's really good at making bread. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Mark chapter 8, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes? Do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Jesus is just alluding to this idea that it's possible to have eyes and not see him. See, it's possible to be around Jesus or things of Jesus without seeing Jesus. What's spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness is simply seeing Jesus without being captivated by his goodness and compelled to worship him. Let me just ask you, When's the last time you were captivated by the goodness of Jesus Christ? When's the last time that worship wasn't a discipline? When's the last time you were compelled to worship because, because you've, you've seen him? Spiritual sight has to take place. I mean, I think about it like this. I, I just came from working with college students, so just forgive me for using a college analogy, but... You know, working with college students, and some of y'all are there, you're college pastors now, or you were at some point, or you're a youth pastor, and you send people off to college. 
But you watch college students go to Christian camps during the summer, and what happens? I mean, they show up, and on the first day, there's the girl that every guy is like, she's amazing. But then over the course of six weeks, there's another girl that a guy begins to look at, and he watches how she talks, he listens to how she talks, he watches how she drinks out of her Nalgene, and how she strings her hammock up between two trees, and how she wears her chacos. And by the end of the summer, like he can't stop thinking about her because the gift of sight has been given to him. And some of you, like, that's your story. Like, some of the guys in here, you're like, that's me. Like, I am a product of the, how did that guy get that girl foundation? And when your wife first saw you, she was like, nope. And then at some point, something, a miracle took place. It's the miracle of sight. And the same thing, it, it, it has to happen with Jesus. There has, there has to be the gift of sight. And so I'm just asking you, when's the last time, when's the last time you saw Jesus? And I just want to draw a distinction between glancing at Jesus and gazing at Jesus. Because some of us are sitting there and you're like you're feeling convicted right now, and my goal isn't for you to feel convicted or shame. My, my goal is to invite you to more. And this is actually, this talk is flowing out of where I was just a year ago at this time. A year ago at this time, I found myself in this perpetual state of just glancing at Jesus. Like I, my theology was intact, but my intimacy with Jesus was not. And maybe that's where you are, where you are, where your theology of Jesus, no problem. Intimacy with Jesus, in question. Because I found myself in a place where, where I was so busy and I felt like I was so needed and so important because I was finishing up school and leading a ministry out of a pandemic. And so my, my schedule was crammed tight. And so I wanted my relationship with Jesus to just flourish off of glances. And maybe that's where you're at. You, you know what? I've got five minutes. So it's not a matter of quantity of time, it's just quality of time. I've got five minutes in the car, I'm going to listen to a worship song, I'm going to worship. You know what, I've got five minutes, I'll read this one verse, or read this quick devotional, and then you look up and you wonder, why do I still feel spiritually dry? Well, let me ask you, uh, anyone here meet your spouse in college? Yeah, okay. Keep your hand raised if your story is that you fell in love just saying hello to each other when you passed each other on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Is that your story? It's like, you know what? Passed each other every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. And here we are today. No. No. No, at some point, you sat down and you began to gaze. And that gazing cultivated love. So you have to remember quantity of time is what give birth, gives birth to quality time. Like who here is like, you know what? I spend five minutes a day with my kids. I got an amazing relationship with them. I should tell myself, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make that five minutes the best five minutes I've ever had with my kids. No, you can't plan quality time. You can plan quantity of time. But if I just... Bank on that five minutes, all three of my boys can be losing their ever-lovings all at the same time. 
And so I just, I just want to ask you, when's the last time that you gazed? When's the last time you gazed at Jesus? I know for me, just coming out of that season of glancing, last summer I had the opportunity to, to just kind of spend about five weeks with my, my sole goals being to connect with Jesus, connect with my wife, and connect with my kids. And so I just began to sit with Jesus and gaze at him. And as I began to sit and look at Jesus, I was reminded of Psalm 1611 where, where David says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know what I realized in that moment? If in the presence of God is fullness of joy, here's the deal. Anytime, this is what I realized, anytime that I would meet with Jesus, if there was no joy he wasn't in it because in his presence is fullness of joy. And so that was such a wake-up call to realize, you know what, I'm big on the word of God, but it's possible to meet with God's word without meeting with God. Do you realize that? Like sometimes we, we equate meeting with God's word with meeting with God. We actually, we, we hear from God by reading his word, but it's possible to connect with this book without connecting with the author of this book. And so it was just a good reminder that I was going to sit with Jesus until I saw Jesus. And I was going to fight for the joy that will come when you sit and enjoy his presence. And so let me just ask you, is your quiet time right now a burden or is it a blessing? If it's a burden, I don't say that to convict you. I just say, hey, maybe you're not... Maybe you're not sitting with him until you see him. Maybe you're trying to live off of glances and Jesus loves you too much to give you all of himself in a two-minute glance. And so let me just invite you to, to gaze, gaze at him. Sit with him till you see him. See, the Christian life is about gazing at and enjoying the glory of God. It's about tasting the goodness of God every single day. Well, friends, that was the phrase. It was gazing versus glancing. And it's something I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks. It's astounding to me that we can lead, that we can teach, that we can um, go about you know, doing Christian leadership things without actually spending time with God, without actually knowing him. There's enough generally in the tank for most of us. We know enough phrases. We read enough books, listened to enough podcasts that we can kind of get by without doing the things truly that Christ calls us to. Matthew 22, loving God first. John 15, abiding with him. Romans 8, 29, being conformed into the image of Christ. And so rather than have you know a, an episode on the different ways to do that, I, you probably know. You've probably given talks. You've probably told others how to connect with God, and you've probably done so yourself. And so I think about um, the book of Revelation and what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. He doesn't give them a long sermon on what to do. He just simply says, return and do the things you used to do at the beginning. Uh, you did it first. And so for many of us, there's probably some things we did at first to get into this game the way that we loved God, understood him, connected with him the way we prayed. And I would go back and do that. If, if that's foreign to you, uh, I would be curious about that. Be obsessed with how is it that we connect with God? How is it that we abide with, with God? How is it that we love God? And go down that path, read books, listen to podcasts, interviews, interview others who you feel like have a vibrant spiritual life. But friends, that is our job. 
And I love this podcast. I love talking about leadership. I love talking about management. I love talking about vision, strategy, values, culture. All those are so important, but they're nothing. They're nothing if we don't connect with Christ. And, and Blake Holmes, our senior pastor, made a comment the other day. He said, we can't manage our way into a healthy church, and which is such a great, great statement. And you know, Acts 4, 13, when people talked about Peter and John, and they said, you know what? These guys are pretty unschooled. They're, uh, they're, I love the phrase, they're ordinary men. But the reason people were astonished was that, that these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. And in this context, these men and women uh, that are leading in churches, doing things of significance, serving others, been with Jesus. So friends, that is our call. We are the hardest person to lead and really our first and foremost leadership challenge is ourself. And the number one task of a leader who is Christian is to lead ourselves spiritually. So whatever it is, whatever your next step is, whatever it is to return to something, I would encourage you uh, to take massive action there before you think about strategy, vision, mission, any of that kind of stuff, which is, which is so important, but it's nothing unless we connect with God. So I need to hear that. I need to remind myself of that today. I need to make sure that I'm taking ground there above all else. And I want to give you that encouragement uh, as well. So friends, I'm so grateful for you. Please take action on this one. Please do something. Please take a next wise step in regards to your relationship with Christ. It's been great to talk to you. Hope you have a great day, a great week. And as always, if we can do anything for you, you can reach us at clp at watermark.org, clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time. 